buckle up and hold on. At our church, we love God. Make no mistake about that. At our church, we believe in God's radical, unconditional, and unwavering love for us. At our church, we believe that Jesus is God. We also affirm that you may or may not believe that Jesus is God. And we're not asking you to change your belief system before you attend our church. We're simply inviting you on a journey toward Jesus. For years, churches have placed a high priority on Jesus as the get-out-of-hell-free card. At our church, we place the highest priority on Jesus as a live-life-to-the-fullest invitation. At our church, we believe every person has a dream deep inside their hearts, and that God put that dream there, not for our glory, but for His. At our church, we're not concerned with where you've been, but where you're going. At our church, we believe that the Bible is God's Word. It is real. It is living. It is active. We believe that people who don't go to church anywhere are not the enemy. They are real people who need the perfect love that only God can give. And we believe that God gives this love through, of all people, us. At our church, we do not and we will not display a holier-than-thou attitude toward anyone. We are all broken people, but He is putting us back together. And finally, and most importantly, at our church, we believe that Jesus really lived, that He really died on a cross, and that He really rose again on the third day. And we cannot and we will not candy coat or water down that message, ever. Today, you've chosen to sit yourself in the middle of a very safe place to hear a potentially dangerous message. Welcome to our church. Welcome, everybody. It's awesome to see you guys here. You know, um, we have a lot to share tonight, and I'm so glad that you came and made this place your home for just a few moments, the next few hours. You know, at least in the midst of all of our busyness, because who's all busy? Who's feeling the busyness right now? I mean, it is, it is a couple weeks before Thanksgiving. We know that just beyond the horizon, winter is coming, right? And things are just going to go crazy. And, and I mean that in all sense of winter is coming, all right? Um, it's just, it's just busy. But I'm glad that you guys, um, settled down for these few moments to sit, relax, enjoy each other's company and, um, share something together. Share life, share conversation, share your humanity with one another. And I thank you for doing that. And I thank you for making this place a priority. All right. So I don't know about you, but um, I'm ready for some church. Are you guys ready for tonight? Awesome. Awesome. Because what matters in our life is moments like this. Moments like this where we can put it all aside and take a break from the everyday. We can take a break and come together, enjoy each other's company in the presence of God. See, humanity is restored when we connect back to each other, right? We feel disconnected when we're going 90 miles an hour and we're just flying by the seat of our pants and we're just doing a lot of stuff. We kind of feel disconnected. But when we sit down, we restore ourselves back to each other. We restore ourselves back to humanity. So if I haven't said it today enough, I'm glad that you're here, all right? I'm glad that you are ready to dive in. So who's ready to dive in? Awesome. 
We kicked off this series last week. Um, if you missed it, please go and check our website. Uh, get the, into the archived messages area of the, of the website. Watch last week because we kicked off a verse by verse walk through the book of Luke. And we are really excited to do this. Alright? Because Luke is an awesome gospel that, uh, uh, is comprised, like we saw last week, of real stories. Right? Eyewitness testimonies. Not third-party stories that um, got, got uh, uh, written down through the line. But Luke went out to find real stories. So if you haven't grabbed a card, remember we talked about those cards um, at our birthday party. If you haven't grabbed a few of those invite cards, they're sitting by the sound booth. Please grab a few. They're awesome just to give out, um, to invite people to church. It's got all the service times, website. Um, it's got everything they need to know about what we're doing here um, because it's awesome. Because we're, Todd and I are just really excited. So put down Twitter and Facebook. Go outside and personally invite somebody is what I'm asking you to do. All right? Put this stuff down that, uh, that just, you, I mean, stop typing. Just go talk to somebody. Okay? Talk to, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay to have a conversation with everybody. So um, I love you guys and um, this series is going to be awesome. So last week, like we said, we, we started this book, um, and we kind of saw the first few verses that, um, that not only did we see who wrote that, but we saw that it was commissioned by somebody, right? We saw that Luke was commissioned by a guy named Theophilus, right? Say that with me, Theophilus. There you go. You can speak Greek. Thumbs up. So um, Theophilus is just this guy who's heard all these stories about Jesus. He's heard all these, but he's never, he didn't see Jesus. But he wants to make sure that these stories are accurate. So he calls Luke, who walked with Jesus. But he also says, not only did you walk, but you know where to find these stories. So can you please go and write down eyewitness testimonies? Not heard it from so-and-so. Heard it from a friend who, who heard it from a friend that you, not that's, doesn't fit here. Doesn't fit here. But but who saw it firsthand? Please, only verifiable stories. So that's what Luke did, and that's what we see. Because Theophilus, we saw last week, is probably a new believer. He wants to get the story accurate. And he wants to know that he is believing what he hears. He wanted to see if the stories were true. If indeed this man named Jesus did what the rumors say he did, so he asked Luke to go gather that information. And Luke did just that and wrote this. And he did write it in chronological order and documented only what was witnessed by the people that encountered Jesus. So, throughout this series of breakthrough, our image of Jesus might be reshaped through our study. It might be changed. It might be challenged. We might see a completely different Jesus than we grew up with. Right? We saw last week that, that uh, we unpacked where our image of Jesus comes from. Through our family, through society, maybe Sunday school, flannel graph Jesus. I heard people say flannel graph Jesus, and that's where I, little, little two-dimensional Jesus that just stuck up on the board. That's, that's how I learned about him. But everything we see might change. It might, it might change. I know we like to keep uh, uh, you guys on your toes. We're going to do that tonight as well. See, um, we're going to dive into Luke, but we're going to do something a little different. And I know when I say a little different, you're thinking like, oh, a different. We always do things different. This is like different, different, all right? This, is, this makes me kind of freak out because we are going and we're fast forwarding to chapter 3. 
Whoa, we just started chapter one. Now we're going to go to chapter three. And not just at the beginning of chapter three, but the middle of chapter three. Because, I know, if we can't do that, what happened? We can't do that. So if you're a big nerd like me, you're going to love tonight. All right? If you're not a big nerd like me, you better love tonight. All right? That's just how it's going to be. Okay? Because we're going to read Jesus' genealogy. We saw the intro. Now we, we're going to fast forward and I'll explain why we're going to read his genealogy tonight. All right. But we're going to read his genealogy. It sets the stage of what's to come for us as a community, what we have planned throughout, uh, the next few months. So we're going to take the genealogy and we're going to put it right here in our series. Don't worry, next week we're going to go right back to chapter 1, verse 5, okay? We'll pick up right where we left off and then continue and then not reread this genealogy because trust me, we're going to read it tonight. So we're just going to, we're going to remember that we read it and then pick it up after the genealogy, okay? So um, we got a lot of stuff that's in store that we're going to start that genealogy right now. And more importantly, we're going to ask ourselves the question, where do we fit in? All right? So who's ready? All right, let's pray. Silence those cell phones. Um, let's take a few moments and just pray before we read, all right? Heavenly Father, we thank you for tonight. We just ask that you would fill this place up. God, as we read this genealogy, God, would you just teach us through these names, through Jesus' family tree? God, we ask that you would bless tonight and uh, Holy Spirit just rock this place. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Luke chapter 3, verse 23. All right? All right. I might need a bottle of water because this is 76 generations of names. Awesome. 76 generations of names that we're going to read. All right. I got this. Ready? Verse 23. Just Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his public ministry. Jesus was known as the son of Joseph. Joseph was the son of Heli. Heli was the son of Mahat. Mahat was the son of Levi. Levi was the son of Malachi. Malachi was the son of Janani. Janani was the son of Joseph. Joseph was the son of Matthias. Matthias was the son of Amos. Amos was the son of Nahum. Nahum was the son of Elisi. Elisia was the son of Nagai. Nagai was the son of Math. Math. See, there's two A's right there. Was the son of Matthias. Matthias was the son of Simeon. Simeon was the son of Josek. Josek was the son of Jodah. Jodah was the son of Jonan. Jonan was the son of Risa. Risa was the son of Zerubbabel. That one's easy, even though it's long. Zerubbabel was the son of, not going to say that one, Shetile was the son of Neri. Neri was the son of Malachi. Malachi was the son of Adi. Adi was the son of Kozum. Kozum was the son of Eldam. Elmadam was the son of Ur. Couldn't afford extra vowels, just so you know. <laughs> Ur was the son of Joshua. Joshua was the son of Eliezer. Eliezer was the son of Joram. Joram was the son of Mathat. Mathat was the son of Levi. Hold on. I might need a rag. I'm going to start sweating here. Oh no, I shouldn't have put it down. Levi was the son of Simeon. Simeon was the son of Judah. Judah was the son of Joseph. Joseph was the son of Jonam. Jonam was the son of Elikim. Elikim was the son of Malia. Malia was the son of Mena. Mena was the son of Matthiah. Matthiah was the son of Nathan. 
That one's pretty easy. I like that one. Nathan was the son of David. David was the son of Jesse. Jesse was the son of Obed. Obed was the son of Boaz. Boaz was the son of Salmon. Fishy guy. Salmon was the son of Nashon. Nashon was the son of Aminadab. Aminadab was the son of Admin. Admin was the son of Arni. Arni was the son of Hezron. Hezron was the son of Perez. Perez was the son of Judah. Judah was the son of Jacob. Jacob was the son of Isaac. Now we're getting into familiar territory. Isaac was the son of Abraham. Abraham was the son of Terah. Terah was the son of Nahor. Nahor was the son of Sarug. Sarug was the son of Reu. Reu was the son of Peleg. Peleg was the son of Eber. Eber was the son of Shelah. Shelah was the son of Canaan. Canaan was the son of Araphixad. Araphixad was the son of Shem. Shem was the son of Noah. Noah was the son of Lemek. Lemek was the son of Methuselah. Methuselah was the son of Enoch. Enoch was the son of Jared. Jared was the son of Mahilel. Mahiliel was the son of Kenan. Kenan was the son of Enosh. Enosh was the son of Seth. Seth was the son of Adam. And Adam was the son of God. All the way back. All the way back to Adam. Did you say one more time? Thank you, because here's Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 16. The parallel, all right? We're going to read them again, but they're different. What's that? Um, if Can I do it like an auctioneer? I don't know, but we're going to read Matthew. We're going to take a look at the, at the parallel in Matthew, and we're going to look at why Matthew and Luke put these in. And it's in the Bible, so we're going to read it, so bear with me, because I'll make you a deal, all right? I will never take away popcorn again. If you, if you sit with this through me, is, can I get a thumbs up? All right. I like it. Making deals. Matthew chapter one says this. This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Aminadab. Aminadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon. There's that fishy guy again. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. Solomon was the father of Renaboam. Renaboam was the father of uh, Abijah. Abijah. Abijah was the father of Asa. Asa was the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was the father of Je- Je- Jehoram. Jehoram was the father of Uzziah. Uzziah was the father of Jotham. Jotham was the father of Ahaz. Ahaz was the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh. Manasseh was the father of Amon. Amon was the father of Josiah. Josiah was the father of Jehoiakim and his brothers, born at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the Babylonian exile, Jehoiakim was the father of Shetile. Shetile was the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the father of Abiud. Abiud was the father of Elikim. Elikim was the father of Azor. Azor was the father of Zodek. Zadok was the father of Akim. Akim was the father of Elud. Eliud was the father of Eleazar. Eleazar was the father of Methan. Methan was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. All right. 
Now, that was a long list. Luke and Matthew both record these genealogies for a reason. And they both record them for completely different reasons. As we saw and we know that they were not the same list. Matthew's had names in it that weren't in Luke's. And Luke's had way more names in it. 76 generations to be exact. Matthew's list had five women mentioned. Luke's all the sons. And, and why, why would they do that? Why would the writers do that? And that's what we're going to look at. So, so for a few reasons, we're going to unpack um, um, why these, these are different. But right off the bat, we see that both of these passages explain Jesus' roots or his family tree. Jesus came from somewhere. He came from somebody, right? So even though these two lists are completely different, right off the bat, we see Jesus has a history he doesn't just come in and he doesn't just start performing miracles, but he has a history. He's, he's a real person with family. See, Matthew and Luke approach this in very unique ways according to their audience. And that shapes the purpose and that shapes the reason for the accounts of their genealogy. Matthew, for example, focuses on Jesus' Jewish heritage, tracing it back to prove that he came from a Jewish family because Matthew was written to a Jewish audience. And genealogy is important because to a Jewish audience, I need to know as, as a Jewish reader that he is the Messiah by his family tree because his family tree fulfills prophecy. And as a Jewish audience would be reading, they would go, yep, there it is, there it is, there it is. He fulfilled prophecy. So more importantly, Matthew's genealogy proves that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah and that Jesus is the king of the Jews. Just off of that genealogy. You might see a list of names that we can't pronounce. But to the Jewish audience that read it firsthand. They would see the perspective that it's written in. They would see that he came from a Jewish family. So naturally the focus on his genealogy is going to be different in, in Matthew than it is for Luke. And for our sake... We did kind of take them out of order. We did pluck Luke right out of the middle of chapter 3 and place it right here in the second of our series. But we have to remember, Luke places it exactly where he wants it in his story. See, Luke places it between Jesus' baptism and his 40 days of temptations in the desert. Right before his ministry. He's baptized and dedicated and then he goes into the desert for 40 days, fasting, and is tempted. Luke does this to provide to us, the reader, or to Theophilus, that Jesus is qualified to be the Son of God. Now again, we might see some names, but Luke takes all 76 generations, and he says, he just got baptized. Right? Baptism was, was kind of a new thing. Water baptism that John the Baptist was doing that we're going to read on uh, as we continue our study. It's kind of a new thing. The Pharisees asked him a lot of questions. What are you doing? Um, Jesus goes and does this new thing. And then Luke takes a break. Okay, let's unpack his family. Because Jesus is about to do something completely different. He's going to go into the desert for 40 days and miraculously survive and be tempted. Well, now we got to, we got how can he do that? Well, let's take a look at his family tree. Because in that family tree, 
is a lot of clues. Jesus is about to kick off some pretty amazing things right after his baptism. And Luke wants us to see that he's qualified just based off of his family tree. So that family tree right there to the first century readers is enough to prove that Jesus is the Messiah. And you were scratching our head like, what? What? A list of names is enough to prove that Jesus is the Messiah? Well, yeah. See, Matthew goes in reverse order from one another. Luke starts at Jesus, goes to Adam. Matthew starts at Abraham and comes to Jesus. Um, it's very interesting. Luke's genealogy takes a different approach. And that's the one we're going to focus on tonight. Just off the bat, let's define genealogy. It is the study and tracing a line of descent and development through humanity. It's what it is. We, we are kind of familiar with um, genealogy because um, this company that started about 25 years ago, Ancestry.com, has kind of thrown a lot of commercials at us, a lot of clickbait on the internet, all of a sudden, like, check out, see who your family is, and, and right, all these commercials, and I know you guys have heard about Ancestry.com, haven't you? You are fully aware of it. No, never heard of it, never heard of it. They have swabs now, you can do this, my grandma did it, and we're mutts, so it's, it's, we're just all, we're, we're Americans, that's what it is, we're just a big hodgepodge of everything. Um, but the genealogy industry, check this out, the genealogy industry is a $2 billion a year industry. $2 billion a year Americans spend each year on genealogy and records. That's crazy. That's like, that's, that's insane. In fact, um, people are willing to spend this money just to trace back their family lines. In this country that is a melting pot. See, meaning that we, we come from everywhere. People began coming here and locating in this nation to build something together. And after generations and generations, we kind of lose track of that. See, generations go by and we forget the family stories. And something deep inside of us wants to reconnect with these stories. Don't we? When we're sitting around and we're sharing a meal on Thanksgiving and crazy uncle whatever, Lou, is at the table that you haven't seen in years. And all of a sudden, he starts sharing a story about your family that you've never heard. You find yourself pulling that chair a little closer, don't you? Like, oh, I need to soak this in because I've never heard this one. Why? Why does that speak to us? We don't even know the person he's talking about. It's because deep down, we want to know where we come from. And we want to know who we come from. Not just where we come from. So we spend our money on things like Ancestry.com. We hire actual genealogists. Get this. That's an actual title. You can become a genealogist. And there are people that sit in a library and they just start tracing back and drawing lines and, and build other people's family trees. Not just their own, but they'll build yours, right? They don't, they just have a desire to put all the pieces together. It, they're historians at heart that t- take a close look it's a close-up view of humanity. You know, his, historians and history uh, professors take a big view. Genealogists kind of zoom in and get individual day-to-day stories. And get this, the average genealogist makes $57,125 a year. So if you're looking for a career change and you don't mind just connecting dots and reading about old dead people, you could make $57,000, all right? Just maybe you're looking for a career change. So... No, I'm, I know that was a joke because never mind. I, 
I'll let Ancestry.com do it, all right? So just like the stories in our family, Jesus would have grown up with the same thing, maybe even more to an extent. But more importantly, at this point, Jesus's family tree fulfills prophecy. We see in Genesis chapter 21, verse 12, it says this, But God told Abraham, do not be upset. For Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. That's a prophecy. Jesus comes from the line of Abraham. But if that's not enough, let's go to Genesis chapter 28, verse 18. And through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, all because you have obeyed me. It's a prophecy. The Messiah comes from Abraham's genealogy. If that's also not enough, let's look at uh, Genesis uh, 49, 10. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from his descendants, until the coming of the one whom it belongs to, the one whom all nations will honor. So not only do we see that the Messiah has to come from Abraham, but Judah as well. The scepter. Hold on to that. That's an image of Jesus because it comes up again in Numbers 24. I see him, but not here and now. I perceive him, but far in the distant future. A star will rise from Jacob. A scepter will emerge from Israel. So not only Judah, but now he has to come from Jacob. And he has to be from the land of Israel. So the first century readers are seeing all these connections and they're just, their mind is being blown. All right. The family line of Jesus was predicted well before Jesus' birth by people that lived 500 to 1,000 years before he was born. Years before Jesus, by people who lived in different regions and different parts of the world. So if that's not enough to prove that this baby that's being born is the Messiah, then I don't know what is. In fact, when you look at all of these, the number of predictions that have to do with the Messiah's genealogy or his family line, we see that God narrowed down the family line of the Messiah in such a way that eliminates 99.9999999% of the population of the earth. It eliminates everybody. In fact, that first, that just coming from the, the tribe of Judah eliminates a third of the population of, of the world at that time. It eliminates a third of the world right off the bat. So all of a sudden, now these first readers are going, whoa, so all these prophecies that we have been taught throughout our, 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 our history and going to synagogue, this guy came from all of these places. See, God has orchestrated from the beginning of humanity to bring about the Messiah at the right moment. So not only did it fulfill prophecy, but has traced a line directly through humanity. Jesus' family tree is made up of all kinds of people. All of those names that we see have a life, have a story. Because Jesus' last name is not Christ. We didn't see anybody named Christ in that list, did we? Because that's not his last name. It's a title. The Greek word Christ and the Hebrew word Messiah both mean the same thing. They mean anointed one. It's a title. The Messiah, the Christ, will come from this specific family tree. Be watching as all the prophecies and all the scripture pointed to. See, there are people in Jesus' family line that did great things. 
And then there are stories of people that walked through some failure. That's another important thing that we need to see tonight. Some people did awesome, crazy cool things and sometimes they missed the mark. But yet God still chose that family tree. See, I mean, let's take David for an example. We saw David in both Matthew and Luke's genealogy. King David was the best king of, that Israel had ever seen. It ever seen. The economic and geopolitical growth that Israel experienced under David was just heads above every other king that Israel had seen. In fact, ever since then, Israel compared every king to David. Why can't he be just like David? Why can't we live under David? Why, why, why can't you be like David? Every king was compared to David. And that, they called it the golden age of Israel. King David ruled over the golden age. But David didn't always make great decisions. He wasn't always a great military leader. Just because a person is good at those military decisions doesn't mean he makes good life decisions. And we see that in David's life. See, we remember him. And he's walking around on his roof one hot summer day. And he sees Bathsheba, right? And he settles in his heart. I want her to come to my house. So he sends for her, right? We know the story. They sleep together. She gets pregnant. She's a married woman. She gets pregnant. Now David's kind of twitching. Bathsheba's husband is in the front lines of the war that he should be fighting at. But so what does David do? He doesn't come clean with the truth. He goes, uh, I need to clean this up. I'm going to make it so uh, he, that, that her husband dies in battle. So basically he has all the troops pulled back except him and he dies in battle. And then David comes in and marries Bathsheba and oh look we have a family together. I will take this widow as my own and be the great upstanding guy. And now we have a family. Except that's not how it works is it? See in Second Samuel David tried to cover it up. He tried to cover all it up. And then his close friend comes with something and points it out. Second Samuel says this, chapter 12, verse 13, after his friend uh, pointed it out, David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you. The Lord has forgiven you. The story goes on and um, their child doesn't survive, um, but they have another child together named Solomon who becomes the next king of Israel. God redeems this relationship. But David makes a bad decision. But yet, he's still connected to Jesus' family tree. I mean, this can't be Jesus. David committed murder. He, he slept with a married woman. But yet, God still says, that's the family that the Messiah comes from. And I will still choose that. See, this is not a sign that David's family was perfect. It's not. But it's a sign that God's faith in humanity was. God chooses humanity. God chose to bring about the perfect sacrifice to cover our sin through a family that was full of imperfections. The family is not perfect. But somebody perfect comes out of it. Somebody perfect breaks through these imperfections. See, humanity has been given a special role to play in this journey. And throughout our series, we will see just how much God thinks of us despite these imperfections. 
If you ever are wrestling with uh, the feeling of, I'm just so imperfect, remember that Jesus didn't decide to step out of heaven as some great celestial being to conquer sin and defeat death, but he chose to become a human. If he didn't think we could handle it, he wouldn't have chosen to become a human. He would have chosen to do something different. In fact, you and I are part of the story. Right right in all that list of names, we fit right in there. Now, now just go with me, all right? Just follow me. See, when you were a kid, how many of you remember telling stories about your family and, and sitting around laughing at grandma and grandpa telling these stories? Anybody remember that? Yeah. Or telling stories of their grandma and grandpa. Your grandma and grandpa are telling about stories about their grandma and grandpa. And people you've never met. But for that moment, you feel like you know them. You feel like, yeah, I, that, that kind of describes me. That kind of, that kind of enlight, you know, you get the realization that, well, that's where I get that trait from. Either looks or that sounds like the way I think and perceive life. Somebody you've never met, you connect to because now you see that your family means something. And then you take that feeling and it grows deeper and deeper with the realization that 100 years ago, I would have fit in. I would have fit in. I, I could have left right along with them. That feeling, that feeling that you would, that in that moment, that's what it feels like to have roots in your family tree. That's what it feels like to connect to the past. We know we come from somewhere and we're not just sitting here alone in this world. We're not just watching the world go by and and that we know somewhere in our family tree somebody wrestled with this same thought. I wonder how they would have handled it. See, in Jewish culture, to this day, they repeat family history for a reason. They tell family history for a reason. To give a sense of community to the past. To let their children know that we're not just sitting here in 2017, but we are connected. Our family is deep with history. And, and it's not just deep with history, but it's a connection to the past. And it shows just how God works. It shows exactly how God works. See, I have a theory. Anxiety and apathy is at an all-time high in this country. In fact, the United States... We are more anxious than ever since they started studying anxiety. We are more anxious than ever. And we are the most anxious country in the world. Out of all of them, we're the most anxious. That's kind of interesting. See, apathy disconnects us from community. And anxiety tells us that tomorrow will be much of the same. But if we connect through family through a genealogy that means something, then we also pass down the stories from our family. Because if we did that, we might see that God was faithful in grandma's life, and she survived, and he was faithful in my mom's life, and he will be faithful in my life. All these stories, families tell the stories of, of well, just for example, the Jewish culture tells stories of the deliverance out of Egypt. Why? To show that God is faithful. And if he was faithful then, he will be faithful today. It's, it's, to, it's to give a place for your roots to grow. See, God places these genealogies here to show us that he is faithful yesterday, today, and forever. 
But even if we can't find strength in our own family tree, God understands that. And he gives us Jesus's. If nothing else, he says, be strong in me. Be strong in this family. This 76 generations. Be strong in that. Imperfect people. Because I made a way. He wants you to feel connected. And Luke offers this connection to us. Through Jesus' genealogy, we see God working miracle after miracle because His plan was in motion since the beginning of time. Because He set in motion something that could not be stopped. And He performs miracle after miracle. I mean, it goes back to Adam for crying out loud. We all know what that guy did. Adam was at the beginning of it all. And Adam is connected to who? Adam is the son of God. First Adam is connected to the last Adam. The last Adam came to redeem that sin. See, lying hidden away from our eyes, only to be revealed when the time is right. This plan has been working through 76 generations that people missed. Completely didn't see it coming. It was lying there. The whole story is lying there. And nobody puts it together until Jesus comes along. Nobody puts those pieces together to go, whoa. God traced a line through humanity right there. I can see it. Here's why this story becomes our story. Romans chapter 4. So the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift. And we are all certain to receive it. Whether or not we live according to the law of Moses. If we have faith like Abraham's. For Abraham is the father of all who believe. See, you and I are in this family tree. This is our family. This is our family. We're placed right there. It begins with Adam and it ends with Jesus. See, Luke places his emphasis on Jesus' relationship to all of humanity and to God himself. Matthew, remember Matthew was to prove that he is the Messiah. Luke's is to bring Jesus closer in, in relationship to humanity. Jesus' family is our family. We have been adopted into this through faith, just like the verse in Romans said, just like Paul tells us. Abraham is the father to all who believe. God charts a course through human history, and the path goes right through you and me. Ephesians chapter 1 says this, Long ago, even before he made the world, God loved us and he chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. His unchanging plan, his unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And this gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the wonderful kindness he has poured out on us because we belong to his dearly loved son. I want you guys to see this. Jesus' family is our family. God has a very high view of humanity. And he worked through all 76 generations of that genealogy. And he continues to work through humanity. In fact, he chooses us as his, his, his heir. He chooses us to be the hands and the feet of his kingdom, right? He still works through humanity. So I want to leave you with one thought. Just one. 
after a lot of names. Here's the one thought. In a world where diversity and hatred are at all-time levels, where a difference of opinion seems to divide all too quickly, where cultural tribalism builds cliques and divides us, it would do us some good to remember that we are all one. We are all one. As human beings, we are not, we not only share this planet, but we share a relationship with the Savior of this planet. Each one of us in our diversity, we get to be humanity, and humanity is one. Galatians chapter 3 says this, For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus, and all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs. And God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. See, guys, Jesus' genealogy, it's your last fill in the blank, is our genealogy. Through human history, God's one desire is to use humanity to continue and advance the kingdom of heaven. So, we got some questions for you. We're going to go back to the way we used to do some things and have group discussion right about now. Here's some questions for you guys to wrestle with. As you look back on your own family, how does it show God's faithfulness? How has God moved through your own family? What stories have you heard from, of people you don't know? And how does that show God's faithfulness? And the second one, how does it make you feel that God has been moving through generation to generation just to reach you? And set in motion a plan for the redemption of the rest of the world. So take the bull by the horns. Groups of four, five, or six, balcony, kind of turn to each other and uh, join in some community and wrestle with this. We'll see you in a few minutes.